Coming up, are you looking to grow or start your own two-sided marketplace? Well, today's guest talks about how the app Top Hatter has grown to over $300 million in sales. You'll discover how they have gamified the buying process, how they get users back into their app, and how to take calculated risks to help you scale a mid-size startup. All that and so much more. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. P7Dev.com is the one-stop shop for all your app development needs. They can help you with design, development, and even marketing. Plus, they're offering an exclusive discount just for the App Masters community. Check them out at B7Dev.com. Want to advertise through Snapchat influencers at scale? Check out fanbytes.com and see why brands like Universal and Sony Music use them to market on Snapchat. Learn more at fanbytes.com. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com. You know, the place you go when you want action-packed content in the app business, whether it's our YouTube channel, our blog, or this very podcast that you're listening to, because I've done a great job of really surrounding myself with awesome people, grabbing their knowledge so that we collectively, as you learn alongside me, can grow our respective app businesses. And today I've got a phenomenal guest. They are crushing it in the app space. We're going to learn all about them. If you haven't heard about the app, it is called Top Hatter. But I've got Sri Menon. She is the strategy and global sales operations at Top Hatter. You can check out Top Hatter on both app stores and then tophatter.com. Sri, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. So Sri, you guys do 90 second auctions. Tell us a little bit more about this app. Yeah, so Top Hatter is a mobile discovery-based shopping app. Um, So essentially um, how it operates is all the products that we sell there start at a dollar. It could be a laptop or it could be a piece of jewelry. But everything starts at a dollar and every bid um, that a user bids, uh, the, the auction bid goes up by a dollar. And so uh, it, this, this really provides a lot of a gamification experience to the users. And we also display the names of the winners, which, which makes it very exciting uh, for the users. So it's a regular marketplace, just like you, you would... Um, as in like an eBay or an Amazon, but this is more in the gamification space, discovery-based versus a search-based experience. It's like the thrill of a end of an auction on an eBay, but like constantly going on at the same time. Exactly, right? exactly. the thrill of winning, the thrill of right. discovering, finding great deals. Um, that That's the d- difference here. It's it's infinite scroll as well. Um, and, and, and it's not utilitarian at all, which means if you do want something, let's say you want a pair of backpack for uh, your kid going back to school, you'd probably do that if you go to Amazon because it's a utility platform. But you really come to Top Hatter because you are wanting, you enjoy window shopping. You're discovering things and you're finding things, cool products that you didn't know you wanted. Wow. 
That's amazing. So I just saw this Bluetooth speaker that was just sold for $8. Now, if I were to put a bid for $9, am I losing that $9 if somebody outbids me by $10? Absolutely. So the highest bidder wins. So, uh, but, but, but then you'd have to do it in the time frame in 90 seconds. So you'll see also on the app, it says going once, going twice. So when it hits the 90 second mark, it captures the highest bid and the bidder, and that's what it displays. So uh, you just have to wait uh, for another Bluetooth speaker if you're interested in that. So okay. that also helps with the engagement and the um, virality of that because you'll now come back looking for that speaker. In, I in see. Yeah. I see. I see one right here, bid $5. So if I bid $5, somebody bids 6 then I, I lose that $5, right? And I have to come back and try to find another another one. You don't you don't lose money. You, oh, you don't lose money. You don't lose money. All you're doing you you only pay for what you win. Okay. So bidding is free. So what you're doing is you're bidding by every dollar. So if you bid when the product is at five, it's going up to a six dollars. Wow. And if you win it, you're paying six, and all the others who lost the bid are not paying for it. Oh, okay. That's brilliant. <laughs> it is pretty addicting. Then I could continue going forever. I can see the gamification, the gamification, because I see the other one too. Now, Shri, this is a, a marketplace. Now, I've got like pretty good experience in marketplace too. My last startup before I started my own company was a marketplace for photographers. I came from a site that was trying to compete with eBay. I know the struggles, especially in the early days of a marketplace. How do you guys? How did you guys approach it? Yeah, and uh, marketplaces are very competitive, like you said, Steve. So um, what we do is we started originally with just the U.S. pool of sellers. And um, as our platform changed and evolved and we uh, introduced more gamification elements, we have branched out internationally as well. So a lot of our um, inventory comes from China-based suppliers some from India, uh, a few from European countries as well, but largely China-based now. Um, so that really helps with our unit economics. Uh, and we also um, have connections with manufacturers. So a lot of these products are direct from manufacturers as well, which helps with uh, the pricing um, of these products and make, makes it more affordable to the target audience that we serve. I see. So you, I found that, you know, the hardest part when, especially in the early days was getting, I mean, I felt like it was easy to get the supply side. Like you just be like, Hey, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to help clear that. And then the demand side was a lot harder, like finding the buyers to come in, start bidding, start winning, interacting with the app. I felt like that was the hardest part. Oh, you're, you're right. That that is a hard part too. It's, you know, marketplaces have always challenges. You, yeah. you, you have one side that you figure out and then the other side you have to then also focus on in parallel or right immediately after that. So yes, you, you, you're right. The demand side customer acquisition is our biggest, um, biggest challenge from a demand side perspective. We use uh, the regular channels that startups do like Facebook and a few other, um, a few other uh, game, other gamification um platforms for our advertising but essentially we have gotten efficient over time uh, we've gotten we are able to understand how um, our customers perform what kind of products they convert at 
and we've we've done a pretty good job of that. But of course, there's always room to improve, and we end up having as we grow the challenges. Like you said, is we need to continually bring in new audiences, and those audiences may or may not convert the same way that your previous audiences had. And so then you again have to look at from a supply side if you have the right supply to convert those audiences. And it's a loop, so it's a yeah. continuous cycle of improvement in both areas. Yeah, that's the the beauty and the pain of a marketplace. So let's talk about some of the gamification side. Which ones have you guys really focused on? More on the supply side or more on the demand side? Uh, so uh, the, the gamification is more from a demand side in the, in the sense that um, when it comes to an actual platform or a design that people um, get attracted to, we found that this was something that people really enjoyed. You know, we have other uh, ways of selling product on a platform in a traditional buy now format, but we find that from an addiction perspective, from an actual engagement perspective, our auction platform is a lot more engaging. So definitely from a demand side, we're always looking at upping our game and looking at new ideas of how we can um, continue the gamification model. Um, but from a supply side, also is relevant because not everything um, can be auctionable. I would not want to bid on diapers for my baby, for example. It's a very utilitarian product. So uh, it, th- there is also a supply component because you have to understand what might be something that there are at least 10 people at any point in time who might be interested in that product and who will bid it up. Because none of these items that we are selling are, are we're not a dollar store. They're not really uh, worth a dollar. They're worth eight or $10. So you need eight or 10 people at a minimum to bid it up to that price. So. Uh, it's it's very interesting. So from a supply side, it's you have to figure out what kind of inventory in our pool. We have millions of uh, inventory. So we have to pick the right inventory. And at the same time, from a demand side, we have to match it. We, because it's auction-based, um, We if we have too much supply, uh, then uh, w- w- the prices get depressed. If we have too little supply, then our buyers end up overpaying and they're not being at the value of the product. So we're constantly managing real time the supply and demand on our platform. I see. And are there goals in place? Because, you know, just as we've been talking, I've probably bid on a few things already. It's getting pretty addicting. Are there certain goals that you guys have in place? I know Hotel Tonight, they're like, you know, four taps and you get a hotel that night. Are there goals that you're like, hey, when a a customer comes in, you, we want them to bid on two or three different items and let's have this like, I love this bar that I see street on the website, but it's counting down and that's going to really get the user's attention, change colors. You know, are there certain goals that you guys have in place? Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we do. Uh, we, we have a ton of goals actually that we may probably have too many of them, but we, when we look at it, our conversion rate is very high as you can imagine, because you know, people are engaged. Uh, and when I say conversion rate, I'm talking about not just folks who bid like yourself, but actual winners. So, uh, and then we also see that our u- users continue to engage with the same intensity for the first seven days. Uh, so, for example, if you spend five minutes on the app and you didn't win anything, 
you'll probably come back again to try to win. So that's a goal of ours that we must make you, we try to make you a customer uh, as a paying customer within seven days. So that's a big one. So conversion rate is a very big factor for us. We also want also look at how uh, the pay rate, because a lot of buyers end up not paying. So that, that really is a signal to us in terms of either the quality of the uh, buyer base we're bringing in or the quality of the product, probably it's overvalued or the platform right now. So there are many indications to some of these metrics. So we look at a bunch of things. We look at sell-through rates, our pay through uh, pay rates. We look at ASPs. Uh, they fluctuate throughout the day. We try to keep them as consistent and at a similar range that we want. So the number of financial metrics we are monitoring constantly. So it's the first lever, hey, if I was looking at a conversion, get the new user, get them to bid. Once they bid, get them to buy, right? Get them to come back and make sure they buy. What kind of mechanisms do you guys have in place to make sure that I come back tomorrow and I come back and bid and try to win something? Right, so what we find is uh, many times if they have won a bid or if they've not either, um, they do um, set alerts for certain products. So like the speaker that you just bid on, you probably can win it. So you could you could set an alert. So we utilize emails and notifications quite a lot to remind buyers that that product is now active. So that's let me use that as a use case. So you 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 put a little alert there. So later in the evening today we'll probably send you a notification saying that product or a similar type of product is up for auction. So we invite you back to engage and win. So we we do things like that. We have some campaigns as well, email campaigns that we try to do to engage customers. I'm so glad you said email because I think it's a forgotten channel, especially for mobile app developers. Like I signed up for the platform, you have my email address, even if I don't turn on push notifications, which I rarely actually do, but you have my email address, you have activity that I just put onto the site. So you know, I'm looking for a Bluetooth speaker. And so it's like, duh, send an email like you do when there's another Bluetooth speaker that's that's on top adder. Exactly. I, I, I do. I, I love email too, because I, I think the notifications sometimes you're in the middle of work and, you know, you've turned it off and it's annoying having 50 <laughs> notifications. But, you know, I'm going back home and I'm sitting in Caltrain checking my email and I see something interesting. I definitely click on it. So, yes, That's I brilliant. do. I love it. I love it. Well, Shri, before I, I want to get into talk about like, you know, you come from a background from eBay, the motor team, how do you go from going from a big company with, you know, humongous budgets to more of a startup, mid-sized startup, as you would term top hatter to be and take these calculated risks while trail trying to scale up. But before I do, I do want to thank my first sponsor, B7Dev.com. They've been a long time sponsor, long time sponsor of the podcast. And they've been with us from the very beginning. So a lot of people always ask me, hey, Steve, do you know a developer? Do you have an iOS developer? And I always send them to B7Dev.com because they're going to help you in the early days, verify the idea, figure out what you need to build as an MVP, and then prepare you to get it out there. They understand how to launch an app, all the little nitty gritty details that go into launching an app. It's not as easy as just putting up a website. It is a lot of difficulties, a lot of intricacies that are involved and they're going to be with you. And Hyman and his team are always there when you have a question 
to help you along the entire process. If you're a bigger company, you need to scale out some of those work. They can do that as well. They're actually known for that. They've worked with a ton of big companies they just can't mention. So if you're ready to get started, go check it out. It is the letter B, the number seven, dev.com. It is B7dev.com. Shree, so let's talk about this. How do you take calculated risk and still manage to try to scale up and properly grow? Right. That's a very, very good question, Steve. So you're right that when uh, companies like eBay, they know that if a project doesn't work out, uh, you know, there's another project that you can get onto. You can fail easily and you're still protected. You're deep pockets. Um, And even from a... um, from a day-to-day business management perspective, when I used to run the group there at Motors, it was much more macro. We would look at big numbers. We would look at weekly movements or perhaps daily movements. Um, and and we were not very close to how the actual product uh, performed and all the uh, metrics associated with product at an hourly basis. But what you find in a startup is you're looking at your performance every hour. You're looking at multiple metrics of the product, the platform, um, at a micro level. And, you know, it's not just five metrics. You're talking about 30, 40 metrics and all the time trying to find a balance. So that, that that's an interesting shift. Uh, and you have to realize all the time you have to think through which of these are redundant or which of these are distracting and which of these are really crucial and as you scale like where we are the stage the top hatter is at we've been around for six years so we're not a super small startup we are somewhere in the mid-sized startup i would say and so uh transitioning from being a very tiny company who is constantly hacking to now uh progressing to a much bigger scale uh, that, that's that's an interesting experience because mm, you make one mistake uh, and you know how you've been with marketplaces, You like you said before you started a company, you know how it is, is one change can impact your unit economics drastically and then you're back to the drawing board. So how, how do we how do we take decisions? It's really we, we try to understand what is absolutely crucial that we need to fix, even though it's extremely tactical and probably we are walking back from what we had said that we will commit strategically. Um, and knowing that we are doing this temporarily because we're trying to fix something, it's like the analogy I shall give is if you're going on a road trip and um, you have uh, a roadblock somewhere you basically, you're not canceling your trip. You're just taking a diversion and probably that diversion is longer. It takes you longer to get to your destination, but you got there. So that's the analogy I'll use. So it's to constantly looking at decisions. What are absolutely crucial things that we have to continue to work on that will help us scale? For example, it's an infrastructure project or it's a new business model that you're working, trying to figure out. At the same time, you're keeping your cash cow, your current business model going. Um, So uh, I guess these are some examples, but happy to dig in deeper if you'd like. Do you have an example of maybe a campaign that you ran or something you guys did that either worked or didn't work and sort of the lessons from that? Yeah. So, you know, uh, what we... uh, 
like I said before, we have two formats. The auction format is a very big and engaging format. That is our cash cow. Um, but we also find that a bunch of our users um, who have been with us for a long time, uh, and and what we call them as like big consumers, they 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 want to now also engage with our buy now format, which means they basically have an idea of what to expect in the auction, and they're looking for more. They're looking for higher value items. They're looking to consider a purchase more. They want to read the fine print, but a 90-second auction may not give them. So we know that to scale our business, that is a format that we need to focus on. But at the same time, we do know that if we focus directly on that, then we will lose our attention on our main uh, platform where most of our users engage. So what we what we basically do is we do have a team, a tiger team that is focused on um, scaling the buy now business and we have a tactical team that continues to keep the lights on and keep the users engaged and looking at better and better ways to keep our business model that is historically been our core yeah. um, to need to get better so that that's one way to do it and then we keep changing our priorities in terms of our performance so in terms of when I say priorities I mean resource allocation depending on our performance so if if you're doing if if we could feel that we can now dedicate more resources to one format because we have another one in control, we do that. So those are kind of decisions that we take on a weekly or sometimes bi-weekly basis. Now the the buy now feature was it something that the users were asking for? How do you guys figure out that this was something that you know would work well on Top Hatter? That's a great question. We read uh, reviews. We have like many avenues of speaking with our customers. So uh, you mentioned reviews. So reviews definitely is one where we get to hear what buyers are saying. Uh, we also have a very strong buyer support team and they have a very good feedback mechanism loop into the business. So when they hear things, they uh, convey back to us. And we have actually a team called Customer Insights Team that spends all day talking to customers, understanding how they are responding to our new features that we're introducing, what else they would like. We even brought some buyers into our office um, in the year and did a full day study with them, understood what they're looking for. So there's a lot of feedback that we get from customers. And yes, they basically said, you know, we also want, we, 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 we have fun engaging with your auction, but maybe I do need something and I love your site so much, I don't want to go away from your site. So I do want those other items as well. Maybe I want a, a $70 shoe, but then I'm afraid to buy it on the auction format. I will read about it a little bit more before I hit the buy button. So those are the kind of formats that it, it, they, they defined what they're needed. And so we're working really um, to, to just figure out how to address those needs. Sri, so I got to report back to you. Okay. I have won an auction. <laughs> I have oh, gone yeah. through. Okay. Look, I, I can multitask. Okay. So I don't want you to think that I wasn't paying attention to anything, but one auction, I've paid for it and everything else. I got this little like GoPro like type of camera. Nice. So, so I think you guys have done a phenomenal job. 
Now, the thing that I want to ask you is like, how do you find these products that really don't have any type of real product descriptions, just a lot of pictures? So it almost seems like from a supply side, hey, we need to find products that people will instantly get with one or two images. They don't need the best specs, all that other stuff, because, you know, like, I was like, should I read more about this? Because this is ridiculously cheap for what I got it for. Yeah. I was like, this is crazy. So it seems yeah. like, you know, like these are the type of products that you're looking for because you know that these these type of products are going to work well. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if some of the buyers do click on what we call as the description. So if you click on the image, it kind of opens up and you can read the descriptions and stuff. Um, so some, some do that, especially if they feel that the value of the product is more right for some a ten dollar item they probably want to read description so we have that um but then i think you have a couple of questions there i think one question embedded in there was how do we know what works right Mm -hmm. um a lot of it is a marketplace um environment but we also have a lot of data that we use um we have tons of data as you can imagine six years worth of data and user interaction we utilize a lot lot of that from an inventory intelligent perspective and so my team from the supply side we also work with our suppliers we give them information and also in the sales dashboards these sellers can look at what products are trending what are similar products that they should be bringing onto the table and our platform is so fast paced we test a ton of new SKUs, uh, new inventory for demand. So if sellers want to know if there is um, demand for an item, they list it, we pick it up, we run it 10 times potentially, and that gives them a very quick indication of if that item will sell or not. Unlike on a platform like eBay or Amazon where you list it, you have to wait for a search term uh, to pick it up and then you probably will take a few months before you know if that product has any demand or legs. But the, here, it's immediate. Yeah. Um, that's the power of the platform here. I love it. So from a business model perspective, I'm assuming it sort of works the same way as like an eBay sellers. You get a fee every time somebody buys or is there a listing fee involved as well for the sellers? No, we don't. We, we just have the regular marketplace percentage commission. We have something called a success fee. Only we charge that only if a product sells. So that's, that's all we have right now. Interesting. I love that. That's crazy. Okay. That is really, really cool. All right. Well, let me end with this, Sri. Like when you think about what's next for Top Potter, what are, what are the things that you're, you're thinking about? And when you think, I guess, generically, like how do you think of new opportunities that arise too? Uh, yeah, so when we look at scaling, like I mentioned before, we're looking at multiple formats. We're looking at international markets. You know, e-commerce is still very nascent in the large scheme of things, and especially in international countries. We, we're already uh, there in 14 countries, and uh, there's lots of opportunity to uh, expand more. Um, we're also looking at, you know, how do we how do we support higher value items? How do we support um, different kind of products, uh, different kind of engagement models? So those we're already at scale now, but we have really ambitious ambitious plans 
and there's a huge market out there. So we're always looking at what is a different experience we can bring to the table, what kind of different supply can we can bring, what kind of new markets can we penetrate. Yeah. And then you told me before, so like from a split from Android versus iOS, how are you guys performing there? Yeah, most of our sell buyers in the U.S. are um, Android users. Uh, so uh, we, we continue, So whatever enhancements we make, we do make sure that we have representation in both of those. But but generally, uh, from a user base perspective, uh, they, they're Android users. Yes. All right, I do have one last question that the use the listeners are like, Steve, you got to ask this question. So is there something that you can share that didn't work? Like you maybe had a campaign, a marketing campaign or some type of thing. You're like, hey, we try this and it just didn't work. Oh, we have so many stories of so many things that we've done that haven't worked. Isn't I know. <laughs> of a startup, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, let me think about... Um, a quick example. So we, we I, I can tell you from a consumer perspective, something that was very successful, but something that, that we didn't uh, keep doing. Uh, th that's what we call as deal drops. Uh, but we might bring them back up again. So uh, who knows? So essentially what we used to do at one point was we would have events at certain points of time in the day. They would have very high value items like TVs and computer monitors and, you know, just expensive things, branded bags. And we would have events and we'd have a ton of traffic that comes in. It actually did really well for us. Uh, but what we did find is a lot of the engagement went to those products and it took away attention uh, from the other um, the other areas of the platform. So we kind of discontinued it temporarily. We might bring it back. We might find ways to engage those users on the rest of the platform. Who knows? But that is one thing I can remember in the recent past that we did that we had to turn off. It was really successful. So it's almost like we had to turn it off because it was so successful. <laughs> it was harming the other part of the business. <laughs> That's it. I'm, I don't. I don't really like that question. I'm going to take it out. <laughs> like it's just like one of these weird questions. Like we tend to for just forget. Like we move on. It's just that's what you have to do as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's running these big scale businesses. Like you just got to move on. It's like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you just forget about it and you you move on. All right, Street. Well. Before we hit the big finish, I do want to thank my last sponsor, fanbytes.com. If you're looking to work with Snapchat influencers and you want to find a marketplace or a platform that allows you to do it at scale, because a lot of times it's really, really hard to manage influencers. One, a lot of one-on-one -on -one communication. It's You got to pay them. How much do they want? You know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to do that. Well, Fanbytes has built the influencer marketing platform for Snapchat because they've got a secret ad sandwich formula where they'll do a little pre-roll influencer get on. Then Snapchat will create a video that will promote your app in a very Snapchat like oriented to a Snapchat oriented audience. And then the influencer will come back on and say, hey, you guys got to check out Top Hatter. Wasn't that cool? Just swipe up. And that's how they've been able to really drive some low cost installs. Low is like 30 cents for some of the people that we sent over. It's around 50 to 60 cents CPIs in the US, the UK market. So really great CPIs in these really, really competitive, expensive markets. So if you want to get started working with Snapchat influencers to, to promote your app, 
go check out fanbytes.com. They're going to give you $500 off your first campaign if you mentioned that you heard it on this very podcast. It is fanbytes, the geeky way of spelling bytes.com. Shree, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. One is one app we definitely have to check out. Oh, uh, I I love Airbnb's app. It's an old. I'm a, <laughs> I have a traditional uh, view here. I love the design. I love how useful it is, and it really relaxes me. Even if I don't have a vacation, sometimes I'm just browsing the Airbnb side. So I like houses. I like the way. Uh, I like to see how people have decorated the houses. So that's the one that I would pick, Steve. Oh, I like that. I like how you use it, even if you're not going on vacation. I like that. <laughs> Shree, what's a lesson that took you the longest to learn? That took me the longest to learn. Oh, my God. Is that I have so many of these. So this one I'm going to say is that how to um, how to be diplomatic. <laughs> I don't know if I've still learned it. That that took me the longest to learn. But that's a personal lesson. I don't know if you're looking for a professional lesson or a- no. I, I've it's anything, whatever comes to your mind. That's why I love the question so much. Yeah, I, I think I think the balance of how to say the truth, but at the same time without being hurtful. I don't know if I've mastered it, but it did take me a long while. Well, the app and website are called Top Hatter. Check it out, tophatter.com. One word, top hat. Tophatter.com. Shree, if you the audience wants to connect with you personally, or do you want to send them anywhere else besides those places? Um, I, I think you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Top Hatter as well. Nice. So thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Steve. I had a great time, and I'm glad I got <laughs> I got a new camera out of it, Shree. So when we meet in person, we're both in the barrier. I'm going to be carrying that camera around as I tend to <laughs> vlog more, a little bit more on our side. But Shree, this was so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you at the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters Podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.